Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are your host, Atlas Alex. And for the next couple hours or so, we are going to be taking your questions and discussing anything that you would like to discuss. Because today is your day. It's the topic is you, your life, your path, your challenges, your experiences your conundrums and questions and concerns. So if this is your first time joining us, then welcome. We're happy to have you here. And if it is your first time, then you should know that on occasion we will have a live stream dedicated to just having an open discussion or taking questions or or just if you need to get something off your chest with a community of individuals who are going to understand what it is you're going through and may be able to shed light on it based on their own experience. Because very often when we walk the path, we encounter circumstances and situations and experiences which perhaps we do not have many people in our life whom we can discuss these matters with because they're just they just won't understand people who are not on the path uh, cannot truly grasp what we face and so sometimes it's it's advantageous to be able to reach out and share with others who have similar experiences or at the at the very least they can empathize and sympathize and again understand from their own experience what it is we're going through and perhaps offer advice but even even if it's just there to to lend a a conscious ear a receptive ear because those who are not on the path it's very difficult for them to grasp you know what we're going through and the challenges we face so today is your day. And on that note, we are going to give you the link if you wish to jump on the stream and participate in person, you are more than welcome to do so. There's the link is on the screen, but it's also in the chat. All you have to do is put that link into your browser and you'll go to StreamYards and it's very self-explanatory. You can come online and participate just like a Zoom call. All right, we have a couple uh, comments coming off. Uh, just Paula just wanted to say hi. Hi, Paula. Uh, you're not just Paula. You're you're very much Paula. <laughs> and um, but do you mean just Paula, like like uh, Madonna? We should just call you Paula in the same way that uh, people refer to Madonna or share. Just Paula. Okay, it works. It works for us. Stuart Wilson says, "Man." I laughed when I saw this week's topic. I saw the post on Facebook just after I decided to have a week of silence. <laughs> well, you know, you're more than welcome anyway. If you choose to participate or not participate, that's entirely up to you. We will uh, not encourage you to break your vow of silence uh, just for just for our sake. 
So, uh, but you're you're welcome in any case. And perhaps uh, thank you both for your early comments and breaking the ice. We're going to begin today um, while we're waiting for. Uh, uh, Stuart says, I figure typing doesn't break the vow. Okay. All right, then. <laughs> that, that works for us. If you set your own ground rules and you're well within them, then more power to you. Uh, as we mentioned uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, we are, uh, we are in Mercury retrograde. And as you know, Mercury governs communication. We, all, we each have our own individual Mercury, the messenger of the gods. That's the winged god of Hermes. And Mercury is Radatosker to the Nordics. Radatosker is a squirrel running up and down Yggdrasil. He's the messenger of the gods uh, of Norse mythology. But to uh, the Greeks and the Romans, he was uh, Hermes and Mercury. And so when Mercury is in retrograde, communication can be challenging, to say the least. We, have, we can run into a great deal of miscommunication and mis misinterpretation. And uh, suffice it to say, we've had our fair share of that over the past two weeks, to be sure. And according to the information we have uh mercury retrograde will be wrapping up within the next five days september 15th is when it officially ends but it has some lingering effects and if you've been struggling and suffering through some uh, challenges over the last two and a half weeks two two and a half weeks uh you don't don't be surprised because uh, retrograde is precisely what it sounds like. It's the, you know that expression, uh, two steps forward, one step back. And even on the progress, on the alm of life, it's a spiral. So we're always going back down into hell before we're climbing to the next level as we as we climb that spiral ladder and go around and around and around that spiral and retrograde is related to that it's an aspect of that it is a stark reminder to us of all that we still have to work on in ourselves because in retrograde we can find ourselves uh, under attack, if you will, but from within, from our own egos, from our own defects and vices. And, and suffice it to say, uh, you know, we, we are not immune to this phenomenon. We've been, we've been suffering through this, uh, this as well. And we, we, we expressed as much over the last couple of live streams. And things sort of came to a head 
uh, early, early, early this morning. And, um, and well, we'll get into that in just a minute. Stuart says, thanks for the background life on Mercury Retro, uh, the background info on Mercury Retro. I figured a week of silence ending this coming Friday was in need. <clears throat> Seems my instincts are giving positive responses to the situations around me. It's great to he have this arena to come to. Well, you're most welcome. And we are happy to provide a space, a space of love, uh, a space of severity and mercy. And in between those two extremes of severity and mercy is this, is this crucible. It is the uh, fiery crucible in which those aspects of us which must be dissolved can dissolve and those aspects which we wish to crystallize can be crystallized and that if we can provide a space that helps in that process in that alchemical process now we're mixing our metaphors a little bit here because uh <laughs> but it's really the process of the phoenix the phoenix which dies in the flames and then is reborn from the ashes but it's the same fire it's the same fiery crucible and it's it's the fire of our divine mother it's the fire of love severity and mercy so and in that the harsh light of truth we find both and so if it's a place where you wish to come and ask questions or just listen in it's 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 here do with it what you will and make the most of it while you are here because we all have much within us which obscures us from who we truly are and obscures us from the knowledge which we seek and it and it's those forces those obscurations which we seek to dissolve through the alchemical process and through the process of the alm of life the analogous ultimate methodology and with every descent on the spiral we go further into our own subconscious mind further into ourselves and we seek to confront our demons there in the dark and this was uh for us a an experience early early this morning when we say early this morning it was midnight so you could say late last night but we went to bed at 10. so we uh had slept for a couple hours uh or is it about 9 30 between 9 30 and 10 we were in bed so we had slept for maybe two two and a half three hours and somewhere we awoke but very much in a very much in a deep semi-sleepy state and we weren't able we didn't wake up because we had to go to the washroom or something we just we 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 were woken up but woken into a uh into a almost like a pre-meditative state 
It took very little effort, very little preparation. That's why the semi-sleepy state is so advantageous to meditation. And we were sleeping on our side, on our right-hand side. We were in the lion's pose, as a matter of fact. And the lion's pose, if you don't know, is the pose that uh, Buddha Shakyamuni put himself in when he disincarnated. And the pose is your, you lie on your right-hand side with your right hand under your head or under the pillow that's supporting your head. And your left hand is on your left thigh. And it's the reclined Buddha, if you will. It's the, but it's the lion's pose. That's its official name. And we were, we were in that pose, in that state. And we became hyper aware of this meditative state that we were in. And we proceeded to observe what was going on inside of us. And we do not hesitate to tell you that it was bedlam. We were observing a, uh, you know, our demon was just having the run of the place. Mentally, emotionally, physically. And for the next two hours, we essentially were playing Keystone Cops with our demon. And if you're new, it may, if you're new to this live stream, it may come as a shock to hear us speaking that way. But we, uh, from a, from a worldly perspective, we have epilepsy and that's on the autism spectrum. And epilepsy is caused by, uh, it's, it's demonic possession. It's just a lesser form of demonic possession, right? We don't, our head doesn't spin around 360 degrees and blood doesn't come out of our eye sockets and other orifices and right. So, so we are not in need of, uh, of, uh, a, an exorcism in that sense. But early this morning in this uh, guided process, and it was guided from within, we went on uh, a, a, a witch hunt within ourselves. We went on, we were Van Helsing, right, hunting our own vampire. Right, we were the demon hunter. <clears throat> Literally, we were hunting our demon within ourselves, and <clears throat> we were experiencing and feeling it shifting and moving through our body as we were trying to pin it down. We were observing it, grabbing hold of our thoughts and trying to and trying to take our mind in different directions. And, and it was, it was, it was part wrestling, part hunting, because 
every time we consciously pinned it down somewhere, it would just it would it would slip out and it would it would it would escape and then it would go to another body part or go to another level deeper higher and it was it's very 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 difficult to describe because of course all of this was taking place without any motion we were lying perfectly still all of this was taking place inside of us so in our astral body our mental body our etheric body and of course the etheric body is the foundation of the physical body so we could feel energetically where it was moving to and where it was moving from and then cascades of you know um you know when you get that feeling like goosebumps and that that cascading feeling of goosebumps like a wave going through your body every time it shifted and moved someplace else and then at the same time things were happening mentally and emotionally and so we were we were, have to observe all that and not get caught up in it not get identified just be an observation of it and eat and and as it retreated and we were we were tracking it and we were like chasing it and we were going deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves and as we were going deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves into our mind but the demon we could still feel the etheric presence in our in our uh, in our body so this is something that becomes very clear um the mind is not just one level there's 49 levels to the to the mind seven times seven levels it's like se seven times seven octaves sorry sorry seven octaves of seven notes right that's 49 levels of the mind so even as we were going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper chasing our the entity that we live with that is responsible for our depression for our uh seizures and of course for all of our fear we've wrote we've written extensively about this and this is going to be the topic of our next book our personal experience fighting the demon of fear a very powerful demon of fear one that's so strong and so powerful it's able to give us seizures and we were in part taking advantage of mercury in retrograde because the demons is emboldened during this time during these periods right because first of all mercury retrograde is a phenomenon of mechanical nature even though astrologically we're talking about archetypes and those are of the supernal worlds but the mechanical nature of how they are playing out in the solar system and in the galaxy in relation to right the, their their movement their clock right clock like movement is mechanical and true mastery on the path seeks to overcome our mechanical nature in all its forms so but when the forces of mechanical nature are strong 
and they're moving in a reverse direction like mercury retrograde so it's again once two steps forward one step back but it's that backward step which emboldens the mechanicity within us but that emboldened mechanicity so we were saying like if you've been suffering from cravings and you've been suffering from other defects and vices your old habits your old patterns thought patterns all these things that you thought maybe you had already overcome or you had had a pretty good hold on for most of your for the most part but during mercury retrograde all these stuff seems to come back and it's like it comes back with a vengeance so that's an opportunity you see that's an opportunity when the when our when our egos are emboldened and they're stepping out and they're showing themselves they're showing their hand that's an opportunity to hunt them that's an opportunity to go after them right when you, when you are the hunter you need you need to um for example why hunters use dogs hunting dogs they the dogs uh, flush out the game so uh hungarian vigilas for example the, the the but it's but most hounds right they 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 chase the game out of the woods so it's hounds to the hunters and hungarian vigilas will 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 um drive the wild boar right out of the woods into the clearing where the hunters are waiting for them so retrograde is a little bit like that like the barking dog which is which causes our egos to to leap into activity and come out into the open where we can see them and where we can shoot them practically speaking with with our consciousness with with our we can right so so we can snipe them and this for us was a was a just a a a whirlwind crazy uh experience early 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 this morning and it was and it was uh a roller coaster ride of of going deeper and deeper into meditation and then being sideswiped and by the demon which taking control of the mind the heart and then us when it showed itself then we would make ourselves aware of it where it was in our body and then it would it would slip away and it would shift to someplace else and it was this this it's kind of like if you the reason why we we said keystone cops is it's really is like one of those old-timey vaudevillian uh silent movies where the cops are chasing the robbers around or think of like a charlie chaplin movie where the antagonists are chasing charlie chaplin around and it's a comedy of errors but he's he's always eluding them and evading them and hiding here and hiding there and 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 he's he's he gets caught but then he slips away and it was really it was really like that so anyway that's something that we were uh uh going through just just this morning in relation to uh, 
in relation to Mercury retrograde and in relation to what we were saying earlier about what this live stream is about. And it's just, we thought we'd sort of get the ball rolling that way. Benjamin says, what's the difference? Oh, he says, before, you know, we'll do his second one first. He says, sorry, and hello, Atlas. Okay, hello, Benjamin. And then he follows that up with saying, what's the difference between meditating on this demon and being under attack and staying on the path of slings and arrows? What's the difference between meditating on this demon and being under attack and staying on the path of slings and arrows? If we understand the question, Benjamin, what's the difference between... In our particular case this morning, it was the two things were combined. It was it was a it it was had we been still asleep and had we awoken in the astral plane instead of this plane we would have been physically wrestling with the demon in the astral plane but the nature of our demon is that it has the ability to paralyze it has the power of paralysis so it can paralyze us just by touching us and we've experienced that on the astral plane so it is not practical for us to try to wrestle with the demon in the astral plane um because it has this it has this power it has this ability and that's related directly to the nature of our seizures. So uh, it was the difference in this particular case is that the demon was trying to take control of our mind and our emotion and trying to take control of our body as well and our consciousness completely. In other words, trying to make us have a seizure. But we were present and conscious and we were able to, we were aware of that it was what it was trying to do as it was trying to do it. So that, that's where the meditation aspect comes in. And because we had no other distractions, there was nothing else drawing our attention or, or drawing our consciousness away. We could focus 100% of our consciousness on the activity of the demon in the mind, in the heart, and in the body. And it was, it was a battle that was taking place in the realm, in the realms of our physical machine, in, on its turf, on the demon's turf, basically. Or what it wants to be its turf, what it wants to be in control of. Because the demon of fear is control. <clears throat> and, uh, and the ultimate thing that our demon wants, is responsible for our seizures, is to take control of us. That's what a seizure is. 
when another entity takes control of your physical body, your mind and all of your centers, your mind, your heart, and your motor instinctive sexual centers. So in this particular case, there was no difference because this was our meditation to actually meditate on the demon in activity because, because of Mercury retrograde, it was active in a way, in a more profound way, in a more active way than it normally is. So, again, this was an opportunity for us and we took advantage of that opportunity. And we have to be clear here that it wasn't Attila it wasn't I who took advantage of this opportunity. It was, it was we. It was Atlas. We were taking advantage of this opportunity. Hope that answers your question. If not, follow up and we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Mugaboo22 says, uh, Greetings, Atlas and everyone. I have a question. It may be long. Please bear with me. By the way, I don't master English, so if it's not clear, let me know. Okay, Mugaboo, we'll uh... okay, Mugaboo, we'll take it. We'll take some other ones. We'll, we'll come back to yours in a, in just a moment. Benjamin says, "I compare Mercury retrograde to a challenging boss stage in a video game." <laughs> yes, it it can definitely be that. It's definitely uh, one of those challenge stages for sure. Stuart says, wow, thank you for sharing that. I've been experiencing something somewhat similar. I'm wondering if there is significance to the time of day night of these occurrences. Lately, I found myself resting early evening and awake from, say, midnight onwards. Look, during Mercury retrograde, strange things happen to our sleep patterns at the best of times. And we don't know what the moon phase was early this morning, but Midnight is a significant time, but also the hours between from three in the morning to just before dawn. That's known as the witching hour. That's a very magical time. And it's a very powerful time to do meditation and other esoteric practices. Meditation, mantra, runes, white tantra. Uh, early, early in the morning, the witching hour, between three and six usually, but be basically between from, from the uh, hours of 3 a.m. To, to sunrise or to just after sunrise. Benjamin Ochoa says, okay, per oh, perfect. Sometimes I don't understand uh, due, to conflicting, due to conflicting thoughts and emotions, haha, <laughs> but definitely helps 100%. I think we're getting into Mugaboo's question now. Sometimes when we are in trouble, we remember what people did to us, but we forget what we did to cause their actions. We don't want to challenge the narrative we tell ourselves. Our narratives makes us comfortable. They put us in a situation where we are blameless. When we write our story, we are always the hero. None of us writes a story about ourselves and we make ourselves to be the villain. Is it because we instinctively know that our innermost is a uh, beneficent, is um, 
beneficent by nature? Or is it our egos that hide behind this benevolence? Our egos are demons, but yet we think ourselves to be good. Okay, that's an excellent question. This is an excellent question. Now, there's the simple, the simple answer is egos are parasites. Demons are parasites. And they prefer anonymity. In order for them to be able to steal our human resources, our precious human resources, that's our sexual energy and our consciousness, in order for them to hypnotize us, it's just like any con man, right? A confidence artist, a con man, uh, uh, a politician, anybody that's trying to um, take advantage of you, right? They have to keep you in the dark. They can't let you know that they're taking advantage of you, right? So they're going to come to you as your friend. They're going to come to you as your savior. They're going to come to you as your ally. I'm on your side. I'm taking care of your interests. Now, how the egos orient that, how they are able to do that, is through a process of hypnosis whereby they refer to themselves as you. That's why every ego is an I. I'm looking out for me. I'm looking out for me, meaning, but but they hypnotize us into believing that that I and that me is us. But that I and that me isn't us, it's them. But because they've they've allied themselves to us, and because they've 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 captured a part of our consciousness. When they say I, it feels like ourself. So I want this and I want that and I am this and I am that and I, 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 I. And we hear this over and over and over and over and we become mesmerized. We become hypnotized. We become fascinated with these voices in our head. And there could be hundreds of voices in our head, but they all start with I. Me, myself, and I. And we are convinced that all these different voices are the voices of who we are, this person that we identify with. Now, because that is the case, and because the, that feeling of I-ness, they are able to hypnotize us our, and hypnot and uh, uh, hypnotize our consciousness with that, with that those the songs that they sing, the siren songs that they sing. Me, myself, and I. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. The nature of consciousness. Consciousness relates and belongs to the being, which, as you rightly pointed out, Mugaboo, is benevolent and beneficent to us. It's our higher self, our true self. And is truly good. And so the egos, because they are essentially 
pretending to be our true self because they're saying me, myself, and I, 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 me, 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 they are going to harness that truth that your individual innermost essence and your individual divine mother want what's best for you your egos are going to say, oh, I want what's best for you too. <laughs> because the consciousness that they're, that they're capturing is that same consciousness of benevolence. And so the egos are going to harness that. And then they're going to twist it to their own ends, to their own purposes, just like every parasite does. Or just like every con man, every politician, every um, predator, sexual predator, right? Or, or um, uh, every p sexual predator. You know, we can't we can't say it because we'll get banned on YouTube. But the uh, we can say the uh, the predators of 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 younger children, right? They exploit naivete they exploit innocence they take advantage of innocence of goodness of benevolence and then they present themselves that way like Smeagol and Gollum oh I'm innocent I'm the victim I'm the this I'm the that and then they project their malevolence they project their malevolence out there. And then they put our attention and our awareness out there so that the villains are out there. And what's bad in the world, the cause of all our suffering is out there. It's what he, it's what he said. It's what she did. That's what caused our suffering. And the ego will always do this because the ego is going to play the blame game and it's going to play the victim. Or it's going to try to play the victim. But it's certainly going to play the innocent. Me? Like, again, we can take that, um, that example from Lord of the Rings when Gollum takes the, the Latmus bread, the last of the elvish bread, and he throws it off the cliff and then he takes a little bit piece and he crumbles crumbs on Sam's uh, tunic. And so when when they when they uh, Frodo discovers that the bread the bread's gone, and Gollum is able to point at the crumbs and say, "Oh no 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 no! Gollum doesn't like nasty Elvis Elvish bread, but the fat one I've seen him stuffing his face. Look crumbs on his tunics. He took it. He took it. He ate it." You see, the ego always seeks to shift the blame and shift the attention off of itself. When, when things go bad, when things go awry, the ego shifts attention and blame on others, on, out, on exterior causes. Because that way, it can continue its con job it can continue exploiting it continue it can continue 
being the parasite feeding off of us, taking advantage of us. So long as we don't observe it and look at it. The only time that the ego reverses that and wants us to pay attention, it, it, it always presents itself as an I. And then you have things like, yeah, what I want. And I am the greatest. And I am this and I am that. So then it's pride and like narcissism. So the victim mentality is, is a narcissistic uh, expression, that victimhood, that, that's pride. So pride and shame, which is the flip side of pride, is really the only... So the ego only wants us to look at it when, again, when it is, when it can feed off of us, when it can use that um, making us look at it as part of its hypnosis and it's part of it, uh, it's ensnaring our consciousness. But again, the ego, it's not that we're actually looking at the ego. The ego puts up a false self, right? It puts up the I, the me, the we, and it's convinces, it convinces us that what we are looking at is an aspect of who we are. So it gives us hurt feelings. Oh, she hurt my feelings. And oh, I'm, oh, the, the world is such a terrible place. And oh, and, 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 and everybody is against me. And all the circumstances are against me. And God is against me. And everybody, and every, right? So it creates this narrative, this story around this I, this self, this false self. And that's what it gets us to obsess over. So the ego is the ego is the is a uh, all of our egos are are um, masters of illusion. They 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 can project illusions out there in the world and project onto others and the world all the suffering that they are responsible for. And they can, they can draw in from the world and project onto themselves this, this, this false front, this false narratives related to our suffering, the sufferings that, that, that they cause us. So the whole point of self-observation and self-awareness is to be able to penetrate and see through the facade, to see through the ego's stories and narratives, the ego's bullshit, to see through the false self, the identifications and the attachments that the ego is, is giving us and, and getting us to fall for. But the ego will always do this. The ego very, very, very rarely uh, presents itself out in the open. The egos are terrorists. Egos are, are opportunists. Like, like all such 
uh, parasitic predators. So we've uh, we've often talked about mosquitoes and things like ticks and um, and other such blood sucking parasites. You know that many of those parasites have like mosquitoes, they have a um, an anesthetic. So when a mosquito lands on you, the first thing that it does is it injects anesthesia under the skin before it bites you and starts sucking your blood. That's why we don't feel them, generally speaking. And that's why after they've had their fill and go on their merry different way, we end up with this bump where the mosquito bit us. We call that a mosquito bite. Well, that bump is our immune system reacting to the anesthetic that the mosquito injected. And what starts is, that's what starts to itch. That's what creates the itch is the immune system's reaction. It's like a, a sort of pseudo allergic reaction to, um, to, that, uh, to that mosquito bite. But it's not the bite that that we're reacting to it's the injection of the anesthetic and so egos function in the same way they will use some sort of illusion either externalized or internalized identification and attachment projection and all these sort of different uh avenues uh self-righteousness narcissism all these different ways in which the ego will create these narratives, these false narratives, and get us to identify with them and attach ourselves to them as being an aspect of who we are, as being our self. And this is why we, we end up with the false self. This is the false self we get caught up in. And yeah, of course, the ego doesn't want to be seen as a villain unless that's part of the narrative that it's playing. And Many people who suffer from um, addictions, addiction is self-loathing, and there are egos who embrace that and say, "Hey, yeah, I am the villain," and I and they can exploit that in many ways. So they can create, they can cause that individual to hate themselves, and that's also pride. Because the ego, the ego doesn't care if you love yourself too much or you hate yourself, just as long as the ego get, gets what it wants from you. And if the ego thinks it can get more from you, and it can get more of a stranglehold over you and get more of your consciousness and more of your sexual energy by getting you to hate yourself, then it'll do that. Or maybe, maybe that ego will say, you know what? We're a villain, but maybe if you're the, the dominant ego you're dealing with is, 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 is narcissism, they can twist that and you become like these narcissistic soci sociopaths. And some of these narcissistic sociopaths, they know what they're doing. They know that they're villains. They know it and they revel in it. They love it. And they love the power and control and the manipulation of others. And they revel in it. And those are true villains. We, we cannot afford to be naive. There are some egos that embrace being the villain. There are people like that in the world. However, with a caveat, with a caveat, 
that in a, their own weird, twisted way, even as they acknowledge themselves to be the villain, even black magicians and 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 Satan worshippers who are walking the left-hand path and doing black magic, they will contend that they are right. They're walking this villainous path and they will admit to walking that villainous path, but they will contend that theirs is the righteous path and it's the right path. Theirs is the truly good path. And that relates to the di dynamic between the White Lodge and the Black Lodge. Because for, for, for demons, angels are demons. The angels are demons. God is the one who's imposing his will on humanity. And, and the Black Lodge says, no, no, do whatever you want. Why should, why should you do what God wants you to do? No, no, no. Please yourself. Pleasure yourself. Be, be, enjoy all the hedonism. That's true freedom. That's true. That's true love, right? Follow your, follow your, uh, your individual Satan. Follow all of your, your desires. That's true freedom. That's truly embracing life and truly living life and experiencing everything, right? Don't deny yourself. And you know what I mean? So they have their whole, uh, whole philosophy and, uh, and um, uh, theosophy around, around, around them, around this aspect. But at the same time, you have individuals who are maybe not, you know, full-blown demons or black magicians, or they might not be practicing uh, occultists in any way, but they're narcissistic sociopaths and they know what they're doing. They know that they're manipulating others. But again, they will have some kind of self-righteousness built into them saying that they are right to do so because we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world and it's survival of the fittest and you know what if that other person is so naive and so stupid well that's their problem if they were smarter they wouldn't let me manipulate them like as i do it's not my problem it's their problem they're the weak ones and this is where you get a lot of this <clears throat> socio sociopathy related to uh elites and their control of the masses because they're like, well, the stupid sheeple, the stupid masses, they need to be governed. They need to be controlled. They need to be ruled. Right. And if they were, well, if they were smarter, if they weren't so dumb, then, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in the position we're in. And I know people individually who think this way. Right. I know if there's, there's people very close to me in my life who actually think this way individuals who who um um you know who say look if uh if people weren't so stupid then i'd be out of a job so they'll continue selling you know uh, uh products of questionable moral nature on the basis and they'll rationalize it to themselves saying well you know what as long as keep, people keep buying it, I'm perfectly okay with it. Because if they were smarter, then they wouldn't buy the products. I would be, and the company would go bankrupt, and I would be out of a job. But they don't do that. They keep buying it, so we're going to keep providing it to them. And that's how they rationalize it. And that's so you see, ego can always find a way to slip, slip out of any type of grip of of objective truth of 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 
trying to nail it down and trying to capture it within a bubble of of objective truth the egos it's slippery like an eel like like uh, like any type of parasite it's going to slip through your fingers and this is what we were experiencing this is maybe why we uh why we had to tell that story at the beginning because we were for two hours we were chasing our demon around <laughs> and every time we tried to pin it down it slipped out it found it it found it it just you know it found another place and another way to go hopefully we answered the question there uh Mugaboo. if not Feel free to ask a follow-up, and we'll uh, we'll continue. Benjamin says, "Thank you for explaining that the ego functions as a parasite that uh, hypnotizes you and presents itself as your identity. The ego has a tendency to fabricate false narratives. On the other hand, the true self is serene, uh, silent, still, and unchanging. As the scripture says, be still and know that I am God.' Yes, and that's when when the when the innermost being." When the true self speaks to us, that's why we call it the still soft voice, because it's subtle and it's it's gentle. On occasion, it can be forceful and so severe, so severity and mercy. So we can feel the being impulse in a stronger way, but it's never coercive. And it's never, um, it, it's never convincing. It doesn't need to convince us. It's not trying to convince us, right? It's it's not going to use rationalization and 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 it's not going to use a narrative to you know to get us to go along with its plans. It's not. It's not like that. It's it's what's what Shakespeare called. Uh, well, when we follow the ego and we choose not to be, we lose the name of action. And the being, our innermost, it, our innermost essence of God is the name of action. The word within us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it's that still soft voice acting through us. It's not going to sit there and cajole and explain and debate with us. That's what the ego will do to, to convince us that to go along with its narrative. And we've all experienced that. You, you know, you don't have a debate with God. You don't debate with God. You just don't. But when you sit there going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in your head, you're debating your ego. Hermes Tree says, I remember being in this mindset when I was younger. It took a long time to become aware of my behaviors. Yeah, and there's plenty of people who are completely asleep and not aware of their behaviors and not aware that they're being manipulated. By their own egos. Stuart, Stuart Wilson says, ego as the evil eye, uh, send it to scumbag rehab where divinity subjects, where divinity subjects us to severity and mercy seems sensible to my senses. All these stories and explanations are such blessings of insight. So glad to be with you all. Well, we're glad to have you here, Stuart. 
Mugaboo says, very clear as always. Many thanks, Atlas. You're very welcome, Mugaboo. And thank you for such a great question because it's it's good to it's good to ask because it's good for us to repeat over and over again uh, what are at times real cornerstones of the work and everyone's experience of suffering. Hermes Tree says, I feel for people in this mindset and I work in enforcement and even before you open your mouth, people dwelling in this low state will start with excuses that makes it very plain it was them. So defensiveness, defensiveness relates, uh, it's, it's highly egoic. And if you recall a few weeks ago, we, uh, We did a live stream where we were talking about a, how a good defense is an offense against your being, against yourself. And somewhere here, uh, somewhere, we have a a whiteboard where we have covered in spaghetti drawings. If you recall, we had that concept of, yeah, here, let's uh, see if we can share this just for a moment. If you recall this whiteboard, And we said that we create, the ego will create this, this force field. And if it's all of our beliefs, all of our narratives, all our defensiveness, and this is a defensive field. But if you recall, we pointed out that it may be a defensive field, but what it is, it's really a containment field. And that that defensiveness is the prison that our true self becomes enslaved in, entrapped in. By us wanting to feel safe, right? By us wanting to feel safe. We put all of our energy and attention into that defensiveness. And so the whole point of, uh, of Shakespeare's to be or not to be speech, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, the whole point of that is to say the being, to be, doesn't want to feel safe. It has no need to feel safe because it cannot feel fear. It has no fear. So what need does it have to pursue comfort and security? So if we pursue comfort and security because we have within us a voice telling us, oh, it's the, it's the, it's the uh, shrewd voice 
of our uh, of our you know dear mother echoing from our childhood. Now be careful. Now be careful. Now be careful. Um, or or our shrewd father about how we you know need to do this and that and the other thing and take care and be shrewd and be practical and all this kind of stuff. Like the more energy and attention we pump into that and create these this force field around us that we think is keeping us safe, we're just enslaving our true self to that. So when you so when Hermes Trees here mentions, you know, he knows in his work, and he knows that as soon as people start jumping in with excuses and rationalizations and justifications, he knows that they're adding to their uh, they're adding to their force field. The innermost being is not interested in in such rationalizations and justifications. Jamie Rocket says, "How can one reach the level of analysis and insight of things that you have displayed in many of your videos?" Is this the outcome of reflecting on topics in meditation? Or are there other factors involved, such as your level of initiation, creation of internal bodies? There are... In one... If there was one simple way to answer this question we would say it would be uh related to your level of being now practically speaking from our point of view where we are in this life our level of being most directly correlates or corresponds to our level of awakened consciousness, our, our free consciousness. And free consciousness is a product of doing the work of the alm of life. So, as we practice the alm of life, and we are okay, going up and down and up and down and, and around and around and around, okay, the level of being, so you know about the, the line of life, and oh, And let's see if we can draw that better. There we go. And this is the uh, level. Okay. So, again, level of being most closely correlates to consciousness. How conscious are we? Now, what is our consciousness currently bottled up in? Well, it's bottled up inside of our many egos. 
In other words, the psychological aggregates which cause us to become unconscious and they uh, exist in our subconscious mind. Our sub they are they are our subconsciousness, which is why by observing ourselves, Throughout the day, okay, throughout the day, we're going to do a quick, all right, there we are, <laughs> throughout the day, right? Now, I want you to imagine that we have our conscious experience and we have our subconscious experience throughout the day. and. Maybe I should draw them like that, or maybe I'll give them fangs and then, okay. So here are our egos, okay? And here we are going about our subconscious day. Now, our Divine Mother brings other individuals or uh, circumstances, right, into our life. that we are confronted with to do what to bring one or more of these guys across this line out of our subconsciousness into our conscious experience this could be this could be fear this could be anger this could be lust Okay, these can be, you know, these, these can be different egos, right? But we will be triggered, they will be triggered by some corresponding energetic anomaly, okay, that's going to draw them up out of the subconscious and we're going to get triggered and we're going to experience some kind of suffering. This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to observe. Okay? We can't see them down here. We can't see them when they're below this line. When they're below this line, we can't see them. That's what that's why they're subconscious. They're hidden from us. This is why our divine mother orchestrates the uh the all of our tests and trials and ordeals in our life. So So that uh, these these occurrences, right, draw them up, and these are like being highlighted. And if we're observing ourselves and remembering ourselves, aha, we will see this. 
we're paying attention. We'll pay attention, one eye in and one eye out. What's happening inside of us, inside of our three brains, okay? So in our three brains, okay, that's the mind, that's the heart, and that's the body. Motor instinctive sexual centers. The mental center, the emotional center, and motor instinctive sexual center. That's the three brains and the five centers. How is this ego, whatever ego it is, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, or whether it's lust, or whether it's uh, gluttony, or envy, or pride, or it doesn't matter. What was triggered, and how was it causing suffering? How was it causing suffering? in one or more of these bodies. We have to pay attention to that. Then the situation passes, right? It, the, 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 uh, the, the, this goes away. And then when it goes away, when the uh, triggering uh, situation goes away, that ego is going to go back down into the subconscious where it came from, right? We calm down, we get over our anger, we get over our fear, we get over the temptation, whatever, we either indulge it or we didn't indulge it or whatever the case may be. But then we go back into, you know, more or less being normal again, right? Then later in meditation, we play out this scenario. Okay, we meditate. And what do we do? We go down into our subconscious through meditation. And we play out what was playing out on the surface. Having an understanding of what ego we're dealing with now. Because he showed himself, he showed his face to us. Okay? He showed us his face and we have this experience. And if we are observing ourselves with one eye in and one eye out, we have that experience. So now we're going to take that experience and we're going to retrospect on it. We're going to retrospect and we're going to observe how this little how this uh this bugger how this individual ego was operating and functioning we're just going to play that over and over and over again that experience and we're going to do this conscious analysis in meditation this is not intellectual this is not thinking you're using your 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 creative imagination you're using your conscious awareness you're using retrospection and you're in meditation, which means you're using, you're bringing as much of your free consciousness to bear on the situation as possible. And if you are successful in doing that, no matter what level you are at, you went from here and you descended into your subconsciousness in meditation. And if you're able to comprehend this ego you have a flash of insight in meditation you now know 
how that ego caused you suffering and causes other suffering. Your Divine Mother can come and eliminate that ego from your subconscious. And now you return at a higher level, meaning you have freed consciousness. A, conscious, a little bit of consciousness that was bottled up inside of that ego, when that ego pops, it releases the little bit of consciousness that it was, that it was uh, enslaving. And you free a little bit of consciousness. Now, what that means is, the next time you go into meditation, the next time you do anything, the next time you face your next test of trial or ordeal, you're going to be facing it with just a little bit more consciousness and a little bit more self-knowledge than you did before. You're going to have a little bit more self-evident experiential knowledge and a little bit more free consciousness to face the next challenge, the next test, the next ordeal. And then likewise in meditation, to go down and meditate on another ego. And this is the process. This process has to happen over and over and over and over again. This is the only way, this is the only way you can move up. This is Dante's ladder and this is Jacob's ladder. If we were to, if, uh, if you take a, um, uh, uh, a spiral, if we just draw quickly a spiral here and I take uh, an eraser and I erase, right, the, 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 the two sides, Uh huh. You got you 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 have what look like rungs of a ladder, right? Looks like you got rungs of a ladder here, right? But that's an illusion, because what you really have is a spiral, which means before you can go to the next higher rung on the ladder, you have to descend to the next lower rung. It's the only way. There is no other way. This is the analogous ultimate methodology. This is how all things come into being. You cannot progress in anything via any other methodology. You have to understand this. You have to comprehend this. This is the meta paradigm beneath all other paradigms, which means if you're learning a language, if you're learning how to play the piano, if you're building muscle in the gym, doesn't matter. It is this process. You have to face a challenge, a trial, an ordeal. You have to test yourself. You have to exercise. You have to practice. Practice makes perfect. You have to do this in your life. This is the only way you can free, liberate consciousness and increase your level of being. And guess what? The more consciousness you have, that's like increasing the bandwidth between you and yourself, your higher self, your true self. Because I 
this mortal vessel speaking to you here, Attila, right? The one who's articulating the words and the one who's doing the chicken scratch on the whiteboard. I am nothing. I, I am just a stenographer. I'm just a servant. I'm just a vessel. The one who knows, the one who analyzes, the one who answers the questions is Atlas. It's my innermost being. It's who I really am. But how I came to know that is only because from a very young age, I mean, I began meditating at the age of five, roughly. And I had to go through the process of rediscovering myself, of knowing myself through this process, through this process of suffering and facing suffering and going within and searching for the answers and, and turning within for the answers because I couldn't get any answers from outside. Not for the, not for the questions that, that, that I had. And that I have reached a place now in my life where I have surrendered to my higher self and we have practiced over the last seven to 10 years now, surrendering in the moment, moment by moment on the computer, letting, letting Atlas write the blogs and now let, letting Atlas write the books. I just, I'm a stenographer. I take dictation. I bring my worldly skills and abilities and intellect and, and everything are in service of Atlas. But I even stopped reading books by, from Glorianne and, and Master Samael because I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a parrot, right? It's like I, at no point, because I, Master Samael wrote those books those way, that way. He delivered the teachings the way he needed, he needed to deliver the teachings. And we have to deliver the teachings the way we need to deliver those teachings because we live in a different world than the world in the 1950s and 60s and 70s of, uh, of Central America and South America. It's a very different world. And so the teachings have to be presented in a way that uh, individuals in North America and English, in the English-speaking world in the 21st century can grasp. And so that's why we we um, we surrendered to to our higher self. And so when you ask the question, uh, how can we reach the level of analysis and insight? Hopefully, we've shown that. It's getting, it's getting the I out of the way, as many of our eyes out of the way. And realizing that that false self that we're identified and attached to is what's standing between us and our true self. And it's, it's our true self that has the knowledge, that does the analysis, that, that, and that gives us the insight. And hopefully we answer the question, but if, if not, by all means, send us a follow-up and, and 
or if you want more information about about the process or whatever, then you know, ask us a follow up question or just keep tuning into our live streams because, and certainly get a copy of our book because this is all this is all culminating in that book that we're about to re uh, release. Uh, okay, Lux Custos asks question: If we need to descend in order to ascend, what can we do in order for us to descend to a lower octave? Or is this something orchestrated by our divine being? Okay, so what we're showing here, okay, um, is this is a process of, uh, this is a conscious process. This is a process that happens in consciousness. So another way to say this is that the alm of life here is happening on the level of awareness. Okay, now, if you have egos, and you do, okay, fear, anger, lust, whatever, and they're in your subconscious, you see this, this, uh, this experience here that's happening? This experience here, and we call it pulling the egos up across the subconscious. And we said bringing it from the subconscious into the conscious. There's another way you can think or, or comprehend this process. Okay. And for that, you know what? We're going to show you exactly what we mean. Because it's a good question. So let's go with the uh, alm of life again, right? And we had... Line of life and line of being. Okay? This is life. And this is being. And we said that being is consciousness. And that means the higher you go on the, uh, the y-axis, the more consciousness you have. And the lower down here, this is subconsciousness. Right? Now, we have another word. For the subconscious. And that's hell. So, we're going through life. Okay, we're going through life. Sometimes we're above the line, and sometimes we're below the line. Here, this is when we are awake. This is when we are conscious. This is when we can sense uh, the still soft voice. This is when we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear when we're awake. But when something comes along and a person or an event okay that 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 confronts us and it triggers it triggers one or more of our uh, demons one or more of our egos 
right? These things pull us down. One of these. One or more of these will be triggered, will be brought into activity, and they will take our consciousness and drag it down through this process we call uh, identification and attachment. They will hypnotize us. So we are, we are pulled into hell. And we are not being. We are in the false self. In other words, we're below this line. We've, we've gone down here. We're, we're now down here. And we're facing the monster. We're facing the demon. Right? The uh, Medusa, the Minotaur, the dragon in the dungeon of our subconscious mind. We have entered the underworld. Um, and if you want to continue with the, uh, if you know the hero's journey, in, according to the hero's journey, this line, this uh, line of life that separates consciousness from subconsciousness, he calls this line the delineating line of. Um, <clears throat> What's above the line he calls the uh, the known world, and below the line is the unknown world, or he also calls this the uh, the special world. These are Joseph Campbell's terms related to the hero's journey. So. When you ask this question, right, if we need to descend in order to ascend, right, what, what can we do in order for us to descend? You don't have to do anything. Just be yourself. Rest assured, your divine mother is going to orchestrate everything that you need that's going to pull you into hell. But it's psychological hell just because of what's triggering and coming up to the surface. So over here, we said that it's, it's bringing them from the subconsciousness into the consciousness. So you can think of it that way, but the other way you can think of it is that you're taking your consciousness and it's being sucked in to hell. Now, whether or not you stay awake in hell is up to you. That's your choice. That's the hero descending into hell to face the demon and not being overcome by the demon, not being turned to stone by Medusa. So Perseus looks at the uh, the, uh, the 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 polished insides of his shield and he looks at her reflection only. He doesn't look directly at Medusa, so he doesn't want to get turned to stone. So these, these myths contain a great deal of metaphysical truth on the, the practice of this from a practical sense.
But who is it that sends Perseus into the underworld, into the labyrinth, to kill Medusa? Athena, which is Perseus's divine mother. And Athena gives Perseus the weapons that he needs to confront Medusa. We hope that answered your question, uh, Lux. But if we didn't, send, give us a follow-up question and we'll do, we'll, uh, we'll do so. Okay. Stuart says, recently I heard a quote that said, I do not need my inner child healed as my soul isn't fractured. I'm curious to hear this group's thoughts on this statement as it was revelatory to me. The concept of the inner child means different things to different people. Um, because for many people, it's their hurt inner child. It's that innocence. It's that loss of innocence. And for many people, they play the victim card and they feel themselves victimized. And they see that 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 the source of their trauma uh, is this hurt inner child. But those who don't feel that kind of trauma don't feel that way about their inner child. And that's their inner innocence, their joie de vivre, their love of life, their imagination, and so on and so forth. The reality is that our innermost being uh, is fractured because the consciousness belongs to our innermost being and, and our consciousness is bottled up and hijacked by all of these many egos that we have. And that represents a fracturing of the consciousness. And that fractured consciousness is what lowers the level of being because that's just because that consciousness is bottled up inside of ego. So in that sense, our innermost being cannot be, cannot fulfill their potential. And, and remember, our innermost being is an essence, is a seed. And if what it needs to grow and what it needs to be able to uh, <clears throat> sprout is consciousness, and that consciousness is fractured and, and split between many, many, many egos, well, then we have to recover that consciousness. But that statement could mean different things to different people because, again, People have different ideas about what their so-called inner child is. Um, the other notion here is that my soul isn't fractured. Well, many of us don't even have a human soul yet. We haven't created our human soul. So that's another misunderstanding because people don't understand what soul is really. And that we have a divine soul and a human soul. The divine soul is the consciousness. So that's fractured. And the human soul hasn't been created yet because that's the solar causal body in Tipper F, and that can only be created through White Tantra. So, uh, but for those people who don't feel fractured, that's just a way for them mostly to be able to partake in spiritual bypassing. And they don't feel themselves, they've never been traumatized, they don't feel themselves a victim in any way, so that's why they're able to say um, statements like that. But if you meet yourself, if you meet your higher self, your innermost being in the astral plane, uh, you will see that your 
innermost being is not this beautiful, uh, perfect, resplendent being. Not yet. Not yet. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to be prepared to face the harsh reality of the situation. If you do uh, project in the astral plane, if you do have a lucid dream, in other words, and ask to go see your higher self, uh, be prepared. Be prepared. Because you may, you, you, you may not like what you see. It's certainly not going to be in alignment with what the New Age believes about higher selves and how we are all gods already. That's, that's a lie. Benjamin says, It's impossible to explain in a brushstroke the structures of the subconscious and other teachings explain it a, a different way, but it's a similar idea. Yeah, the, the advantage of what we show here with the Alm of Life is that two things. Number one, it's simple. And number two, it's factual. It's absolute, right? This is, this is the process. So, um, I'm sure people have, there's a million different ways that people can explain this. I mean, the people have been talking about this for thousands of years and they've, they've been using myth and allegory. So like Medusa, you know, descending into the labyrinth, Perseus descending into the labyrinth uh, to kill Medusa is this. It's just, it's just being described in myth and allegory. But, and so, I wouldn't say it's impossible to explain. It's just impossible to fully encapsulate the metaphysical truth of it all in, in a simple diagram. And yet... That's precisely what we need, a very simple explanation and a simple diagram that's actionable. So we can comprehend and, and say, well, this on some level, on a basic essential level, on an archetypal level, this is what's happening. This is what we're doing. And this is why we're doing it. Hermes Tree says, your eye is pixelating at times. You must be one of David Icke's shapeshifters. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yes, we must be a reptilian shapeshifter. If, um, if we're uh, pixelating a bit here and there, it's because of... Uh, we'll show you uh, why that is. Hang on a second. See, because we have this virtual background, right? And we have to adjust the slider for how, uh, for, for what it, or otherwise we just have a green screen. So now, you know, uh, we can ch change ourselves into like a floating head, probably. That's maybe a little bit, no, it's too much. Oh, there's our pixelating eye. We can see it now. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's pretty precise. Okay. Well, we'll try that. We'll see if that works. 
Benjamin says, uh, yes, you said it better uh, to, fully, uh, to fully encapsulate. Well, we've got uh, some some fresh spaghetti to uh, to share with you guys now for today. But what else? Uh, anybody else have any more questions? We don't, we, uh, oh, we can, we can let you know that uh, the first part one of our book has been edited. Uh, we received the edited text from uh, the publisher this week and we went over it. And so the, the progress on the book is, is going fairly well. We're, we're fairly confident that, uh, that we're moving ahead in the right direction there. But um, we also took steps to set up a, uh, a, pod, uh, a podcast on Spotify and we will be uploading, we will start uploading some of our old uh, live streams and lectures to, to Spotify. And we will probably continue doing that in the future as well, but we're still having difficulty getting getting the RSS feed on Apple and and like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of technical stuff that we have to go through still yet to make that to make all that work. And we don't know if we can live stream directly to Spotify from Streamyards yet. So there's there's a few things that we have to figure out there, but um, it'll be another way, another opportunity for you to be able to catch up on past presentations. And because it's Spotify, we're fairly sure that you can do you can listen to it audio only on your on your smartphone through the app, and you can turn the video off. We're fairly sure that you can do that, but um, but anyway, we'll 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 jump off that uh, rope if we get to it. But because it's going to be an RSS feed. You'll be able to watch it on iTunes. You'll be able to watch it on Amazon or wherever you get your podcast from. So that's something that we want to have all set up and ready to go by the time the book launches. Hermes Tree says, is Gandalf's fight and fall with the Balrog and then his ascension, this process as well? Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, Gandalf's fight with the Balrog culminates in his death. He kills the Balrog, but in the process, he also he also dies. And if you recall, when he entered the mines of Moria, and when he first stood his ground, against the Balrog, which is a, a, a very, very powerful demon of the old world, of the ancient realms. Um, he was Gandalf the Grey. 
And it is through his fight, his descent into the uh, the deepest dungeon, the highest peak of the deepest dungeons, when he finally felled his foe and vanquished the Balrog. And he says, life left me. And I was carried on, I can't remember exactly the poetry of the moment of the uh, of that scene. But if you're interested, I wonder if we could play it. Because um, that scene, we, we put that scene in our um, video on Star Wars, our, uh, the Skywalker Apocalypse. We actually relate to the, um, that scene from um, uh, Lord of the Rings. In any case, at last I smote my foe and felled him on the, uh, on the ground and the life left me. And I went through time and space, vanished, and all he talks about going through to the light. And he says, but, but it was not to be. Right? I, breath returned. And I, I've, I, was, I was sent back. And I've been sent back until my task is done. And then um, Aragorn says, you know, Gandalf. And he says, Gandalf? Yes, yes. That is what they called me. That was my name, Gandalf the Grey. I am Gandalf the White. And I return to you now at the turn of the tide. That's, that is Gandalf's moment of Christification, his fight with the Balrog. That is his descent into hell, his death and his resurrection. The Alm of Life has levels and levels and levels and levels. And where we are at, down here, okay, where we are at, we're in the, you know, we're at the beginning stages. We're, we're fighting these little lesser demons, these little munchkins, these little uh, 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 trash mobs. But when you, when you consider a Gandalf... fighting the Balrog right that's that's it's you gotta you gotta you know, put things into perspective let's see that Like we're we're fighting these little munchkins down here, you know, at this level. And Gandalf fights the Balrog. This is how much deeper into hell Gandalf falls. But of course, he defeats the Balrog. He vanquishes his foe. And as a result. Oops, we don't want to do that. 
as a result, um, this is how much higher Gandalf ascends because he literally ascends and he becomes a Christified master. But then, once he becomes a Christified master, what does he do? He comes back down. <laughs> because that's what Bodhisattva do. Right? He comes back down. Because now, he's got to help, he's got to help Middle Earth face Sauron. But as you can see, it's just it's just Gandalf. Gandalf is what thousands of years old. So he's he's undergone this process. He's undergone the hero's journey many, 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 many times. And each time he underwent, he undergoes the uh, the journey. Each time he got, goes through one revolution of the Alm of Life, he achieves another revelation of being another level of being so the short answer hermes trees is yes absolutely because as we said there is only one process there is only one process to everything there is only one process Because this process in the reverse okay, is descending. This is if this is um, going up, this is evolution. Because you are going up on the on the uh, level of being. This is also how you uh, devolve. In other words, so you can you can fall back to this point, but if you keep falling, you start devolving, and you in this this once you go down to this zero point. This keeps going, and if you realize, if you can visualize what that means, it means what black magicians and awakened demons are doing, they're, uh, they're doing this. And they're going this way. And in order for them to do this, they have to go into higher levels of consciousness and uh, enslave higher and higher levels of being. More and more consciousness in order for them to grow in power and to grow in levels that's appropriated to the what we call the left-hand path. There's only one pattern. It's but there's different orientations of that pattern, right? 
there's different ways that the uh, that the spiral can manifest. You can have an expanding spiral, and you can have a contracting spiral, right? So you can explosion and implosion, or expansion and synthesis, or what uh, um, Walter Russell calls radiation and gravitation in the world of physics. Those are the only two forces, radiation and gravitation. And they're equal and opposite forces. It's the yin and yang. Evolution and devolution. Mechanicity and divinity. And on the upward spiral, you can have expansion and synthesis. So for example, the expansion, this comes back to... Um, uh, Jamie Rocket's question about about uh, gaining levels to be to have the ability to analyze the way we do. If we expand our consciousness, we can synthesize new knowledge. We actually have a a, a graphic that shows this. We don't have to. This is going to be in our book, actually. Um, we have a visual aid that we can show you, which if we can find it, there it is. Okay, so let's make that bigger. So let's hide this. So you see from not being to being, we have to have an implosion of hypnosis and ignorance our unconsciousness, our unconsciousness needs to implode and have an ex and explode the ego. And as we blow explode the ego, we burst those egos, we release the consciousness inside. So we have an expansion of consciousness. And when we expand our consciousness, we can synthesize gnosis. So you go down to come back up. This uh Brand is in the way, so let's just, uh, where is it? Logo, let's just hide it for a second, okay, so you can see it better. Oh, you know what, we'll just make it a little bit smaller. There you go. So you see, the, the there's the, you have to descend to ascend. It's the yin and yang, right? It's the, it's the same, this is why the yin and yang has that movement associated with it and why each has the other as a part of it because the other thing that we can show you is under normal circumstances we have the two aspects of the alm of life evolution and devolution and again we have explosion and implosion we have expansion and synthesis it's the same process it's the same fundamental archetype it's all a question of orientation it's a question of application or a question of expression but there's only one pattern Anyone have any other questions?
because really when we consider it that way and we and we we remember expressions like slow and steady wins the race and that you know an answer to hermes trees's question about gandalf it's the same thing that jesus did jesus came and he suffered terribly uh and he died and for three days he descended into hell and even though it was three terrestrial days it was a lifetime spent in hell he was in hell saving souls and then he returned he rose from the dead and he rose a christified master and that's what gandalf's fighting of the balrog and his death and his return in the two towers his return to his three companions as gandalf the white that's by the way the three companions aragorn legolas and gimli represent the heart the mind and the body and gandalf is the being Stuart Wilson asks the question, what comes after Mercury retrograde? Honestly, we couldn't tell you. We don't know. We don't do astrology and uh, we're not very good at, at that at all. We don't. We, the only reason we happen to know it was Mercury retrograde is because we looked into it because something was off. Something was wrong. And... We were like, okay, something has to be going on. There's like, you know, when you, when you know yourself and you know what normal is, and then when things get out of whack and things get really out of whack and you're like, okay, what the hell is going on? And then it, it took, it took no time at all for us to be led to the fact that, okay, we're Mercury's in retrograde right now. So, uh, what comes after Mercury retrograde? Not sure, but it's not. But it's just, I think, whatever normal is. And hopefully, you, I think, is this the last Mercury retrograde for the year? I don't know. I don't know. Again, because astrology is not my strong point. Um, I don't do charts and I don't do, you know, all this stuff that astrologers do. Uh, what natal charts or birth charts or whatever you know i rely on on others who have devoted their life to the study of astrology i'm never going to devote my life to the study of astrology i've studied the archetypes the zodiacal signs but not how to do the charts and everything else it's the same way that i've studied the tarot but i don't i don't work with tarot cards to do divination and you know, like the the you know the people who that claim to be able to tell your future with tarot cards. I I do none of that stuff. I just study what the archetypes were. That's all. So. So sorry, but I can't answer that question. <laughs> uh, 
Does anyone have any other questions or comments or something to share or something to anything at all? Stuart says, same for me. Let the specialists specialize. Yeah. And frankly, it there's we found some value to astrology, but because astrology relates more to mechanical nature. I mean, not the zodiac not the zodiacal signs, but in relation to our birth chart and everything else, it's like the way that astrologers apply astrology, someone is on the path ultimately is seeking to awaken and self-realize their innermost being who ultimately has all 12 zodiacal signs within them. Those are the 12 independent aspects of the being. So we want to be able to synthesize all 12 zodiacal signs, in, in which case astrology has no power over us anymore because we are we have moved past the mechanical expression of heavenly bodies, heavenly bodies, astronomical bodies in their relation to their archetypal zodiacal signs and, and the, in the stars. We've moved past that to the incarnation and revelation of the 12 zodiacal archetypes within our own being. So we radiate all 12 of those signs, but at any given moment, one of those signs may be taking the lead within our being because we have the 12 independent aspects of the being. But it's that's why it's important to know the zodiacal archetypes and to be able to work with all of them within ourself, through ourself, as well as perhaps through different times of the year. But if we, if we become very identified and attached to our natal charts and the zodiacal sign that we are, we, um, as this mortal vessel, that is, we can lose sight of the fact that we have to transcend the one zodiacal sign we are or the rising and falling and, and all that rest of that stuff to be able to embody all 12 and really become a, um, embody all 12 as they uh, revolve around the, uh, the central helios sign or we want to be a solar god right like a, a bodhisattva a, an enlightened awakened self-realized master stuart wilson says oh that's interesting as i saw an image of man with the zodiac signs overlaid on the upright man aries at the top and i forgot the order that each archetype was in as I looked down the body uh, or list. 
the 12 disciples represent the 12 zodiacal signs. They revolve around the central sun, who is Jesus. And that same orientation is within our, within our own self, within our being. Benjamin Raphael says, I have been playing those retro games where the total memory of the game is less than 100 kilobytes of data. And as you know, these games are mechanical, yet they are challenging. Our egos are like these games. They are mechanical and have minimal consciousness, yet we must overcome it. It's a good, it's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. And those games have a primitive form of AI baked into them, programmed into them, right? Reactions, behaviors, given our actions in our attempt to navigate those games and win those games. So we actually talk quite a bit about video games in our book. And you know we've we've invoked and we've talked about video games quite a lot over the years uh, in our in the live stream as well, because it's a very powerful analogy. Because you, the player, doesn't matter what kind of well, except for like puzzle games and a few other rare cases, you, the player will be controlling some some character or some vehicle in the game world you the player will be controlling something that's actually going through the game world so the example that we think probably everybody knows is like super mario brothers you the player take control of mario Right at no point are you Mario, and yet for the duration of the game, you're controlling Mario, and you're effectively, if you lose yourself in the game, then you're effectively Mario. You become Mario, or you become Link if you're playing Legend of Zelda. the uh the analogy of the video game especially the 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 massively multiplayer online role-playing game or mmorpg where you have a shared world and you have all of these characters that have come in to have an adventure in this shared fantasy world and behind all of those characters behind each and every one of those characters is a player and yet those players don't know one another by name. They've never seen one another in the flesh. They're probably scattered all over throughout the continent or around the world. They all come together in this virtual space to know one another as their characters. And they role play with each other as their characters. They go off and have their adventures together as their character. It's very, very, very similar to what's happening in life. Because this physical body and this mind, this personality that you have is not you. It's just your character. 
And just like any game, we have our adversaries, we have our challenges, we have our obstacles, we have our ordeals, we have levels that we have to pass, we have bosses that we have to defeat. And it just so happens that all of our adversaries and all of the bosses that we have to defeat and everything are inside of us. And the obstacles and the levels that we face outside of us are there to trigger those confrontations inside of us that we have to have in order to defeat the adversary. To become better players. And ultimately, to become masters of the game. Because we've become masters of ourselves. And, and if the video game analogy doesn't work for you, then chess is the perfect allegory for life. Stuart says, video games and sports seem very similar. I recall an interview of a top pro motorcycle racer, and he revealed that he was having outer body experiences in races and watching from above as we would if we played a motorcycle video game. He also revealed he did, he did it as a means to face and control fear. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely see that. You certainly, anytime we're dealing with any of these extreme sports and any of these individual sports like uh, mountain climbing, rock climbing, any of those individual type of sports, you will, like most mountain climbers will tell you, it's not the mountain you conquer, but yourself. The mountain is secondary. The mountain is just the way for you to conquer yourself by climbing the mountain. The mountain just gives you the path. But, you, but the real thing you conquer is yourself. And I think all high-performing athletes know this. That that it's it's the it's the dedication, the devotion, the hours practicing and training, and and all the sacrifices they make and everything else. All of that requires conquering themselves. And so, if they're successful, it's because of all that they suffered and sacrificed and overcame to be able to achieve that. Now, does that mean they become masters, like from an esoteric point of view? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. But many retired athletes go on to pursue lives of mentorship and teaching and training others. And, and the life lessons which they had to learn in order to achieve the levels that they did in their sport become the life lessons that they pass along to younger generations. And very often those life lessons are applicable in general to life, to life in general. And they're not in any way, shape or form exclusive to the practice of sport. 
And there are countless examples of this, of high-performing individuals who, who turn into very successful life coaches and mentors and so on. Uh, and they end up mentoring business people and, and politicians and, and everything else because they have that life experience. What it takes to, to conquer oneself, to, to, to actualize uh, at a certain level. And Stuart says, uh, the same thing when I played pro golf, it all became autopilot. Well, when you become so well-versed in something, it just becomes your second nature. It certainly might feel that way. Honestly, we can say it's, 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 at times it feels that way, whether we're doing a live stream or we're writing a book or, or responding on Facebook or whatever, it's, it's become, it's becoming second nature for us as well. Like, as Sir Wilson says, agreed. It was my journey from sports coach and life challenges that brought me to, to do the work. I don't want to live on autopilot. And that was, that's the one aspect of what you were saying that, that, but now what we recognize, you realize that you don't want to be on autopilot. You want to be on conscious pilot. You want to be a conscious participant and you want to know and see and feel what's working through you as it's working through you. So be a human being done, but being a willing participant in that and, and a conscious cooperator in that process. And that's, uh, and that's a key difference to just being on autopilot where you're doing stuff out of muscle memory or you're doing stuff out of rote habit or just you've done it a million times so you can do it with your, blind, your, your, your eyes closed. We don't want to do anything with our eyes closed. In fact, each and every time we do something, we should approach it as if we're doing it for the first time because we can always learn and discover. And sometimes when we approach things that way, we will do something, we'll sit down to do something that we've done a million times. And all of a sudden we'll see something in it that we never saw before. We'll say, oh my God, I can't believe I never noticed that before. Well, you never noticed it before because you weren't paying attention. Hermes Tree says, did you have any progress with, re re with reaching out to certain individuals to get exposure with your book. I remember we discussed in, re in uh, regards to Jordan Peterson. Uh, progress in terms of adding individuals to a list, but we haven't reached out to anybody yet because uh, it's we don't want to jump the gun. It seems inappropriate to approach someone uh, to say, hey, is it okay if we send you a, uh, a review copy of our book eventually? Like, we want to be able to say, oh, listen, can we send you a re review copy of the book? So if they say yes, we can say, great, and we can actually send it to them. We can't actually send anything to them yet. 
So we have a few more weeks. And besides, we have uh, some work that we need to do updating our websites and like there's a there's some work we need to do to get all of our ducks in a row because the last thing you want to do you only have one chance to make a good first impression and the last thing we want to do is is send individuals an email and if they decide to look us up or or do some research on us or whatever then you know they find our linkedin account and our linkedin account is is three years out of date or five years out of date or whatever it is because it is or uh you know our various website hasn't been haven't been refreshed and up to date with the latest and have to make sure that they work well on mobile and everything else so we have a lot of work that we need to do in the next month to get all of those ducks in a row before we actually start reaching out to these these people but uh so the short answer is no we haven't made that kind of progress but we have made progress in that we keep finding more channels and more individuals uh to reach out to so so that's that but it's definitely it's it's work that we will do but again uh everything we don't want to jump the gun with anything here because we only have one chance at many of these people Does anyone have a, anything else they would like to ask or would like to get off the chest? Ah, Benjamin asks, how important are good deeds in our spiritual journey? Uh, I don't know. How important is your spiritual journey? We don't. We don't, uh, um, make a distinction between the two and neither does, neither does Christ, neither does Buddha. Christ says, do unto others as you would have done unto you. That's the greatest commandment. Well, love your God, Lord God with all your heart and all your might and uh, love your neighbor as thyself. These these two are the, are the greatest commandment. So how can you do that and not do good deeds? And And Christ also said, if anyone would be with me, let them take up their cross and follow me. How is that not suffering and sacrificing for others? Which is the definition of a good deed. And the Buddha said, the eightfold path is defined by right action. That's right thought, right word, right deed. Well, that's right deed and good deed are synonymous. So, so yeah, so we don't differentiate between spiritual journey and good deeds. 
because what 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 sort of spiritual journey is there without good deeds? It's uh, Benjamin says yes, you're right. Love is the answer. Yeah, love is severity and mercy. So it doesn't mean sometimes good deeds are harsh deeds, hard action, harsh action, severity and mercy. So maybe it's maybe it's a matter of, you know, what kind of deeds are we talking about here? What exactly do we mean by good deeds? Just right action, right thought, right word, right action. You can do, um, take the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, understanding, of course, that when we say do no harm, plenty of doctors have performed operations and plenty of doctors have, have, um, have inflicted quite a bit of pain and quite a bit of discomfort to patients through the years in the course of saving their lives. So good deeds and do no harm, it's all within the context of, as you said, Benjamin, of love, which is severity and mercy. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That doesn't mean you go around beating people and beating children. That's not what that means. What it means is if you go through life being a people pleaser, you might think you're doing good deeds, but you're probably doing most people a disservice, but you're especially doing yourself a disservice. So we have to really meditate or comprehend what, what do, we, do we mean by good deeds? And in the context of this live stream, good deeds, you just take an O out of good. Practically speaking, God deeds. The will of my innermost being, the will of my innermost intimate Christ my innermost intimate God in training. God's will is the will of my innermost being. So if I act according to the name of action, the logos, the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, the great I am, then my actions will be God actions, God's actions performed through me i will be the gauntlet on the right hand of god and as the hand moves so will i be moved and as the hand grasps so shall i grasp why because i am just the gauntlet on the hand the mind and the sword are one. If the mind is right, the sword is right. Let us be the sword in the hand of our being and say the sword in the being is one and the being is right. 
Thus will we have right action. If God moves us, if we surrender to our innermost intimate essence of God, and we surrender to our innermost being's will, and we act His will, then our deeds will be His deeds. Then our deeds will be God's deeds. This is what good deeds is. It's not what you want to do, what you think you should do, or what you think you need to do to get in God's good graces. No. No. When someone who is in need shows up, and you listen to your heart, you listen to your conscience, you act out of love for their sake, You surrender, you give yourself to your own, to your innermost. You are a servant of God. You're, you're God's servant. Your deeds will be God's deeds. They will be good deeds. And that is, by definition, the spiritual path. There is no other spiritual path but that one. Unless you are on the left-hand path. Because the spiritual path means to achieve religare, to achieve yug, to bind together as one with spirit. So if you become the gauntlet on God's hand, then whatever God wants to do, you do. Because that's what a gauntlet does. Then, right? So if spirit moves you, that's the spiritual path. Benjamin says, when you use the phrase God in training, it brought to mind the story of Hercules, who was a demigod in training and was tasked to complete the labors assigned to him by the gods. Therefore, it is important for us to follow the will of God. Thank you for your response. That's exactly precisely correct. The myth of Hercules, and it's the uh, the twelve the twelve trials or the twelve uh, feats of Hercules. I can never remember the number, or, or is it seven? No, it's it's twelve. It should be twelve. The twelve feats of Hercules are precisely related to what you're describing there. Because Hercules is a demigod and he wants to ascend to Olympus and to join the ranks of the gods proper. And so he has he's given all of these incredible tasks to perform, the, the, the great feats of Hercules. And that's why this path is called the Herculean path. Because each one of the 12 feats of Hercules represents an aspect of the esoteric work that we need to that we need to uh, fulfill uh, on the path in order to be successful. There is a lecture um, 
and we're just going to see if we can find it because uh Let's take this. We're going to see if we can find this lecture for you because it's a it's a really good. Uh... Hmm. That's. Oh, okay. Okay, the reason why we couldn't find it is because they listed as Heracles, which is the same as Hercules. Um, yeah, the 12 labors of Hercules. Okay, so Heracles, the cosmic Christ, the son of Jupiter. So, Heracles. I'm pretty sure there's a lecture that talks about the 12. Uh... Okay, so at the moment we can't find it. But we thought I I thought there was an entire course on the 12 labors of Hercules or maybe one of the books of Samael that talks about the 12 labors of Hercules but he but he goes through each and every labor. Anyway, we'll see if we can find it and then we'll 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 share it with you next week if we can find it uh Benjamin. Yeah. See if we can find it. Anyone have any other questions? Uh, hmm. Any other questions at all? Well, we want to thank you for uh, joining us today and uh, bringing your questions and uh, your comments, as always. Uh, we look forward to being able to Yeah, okay. Benjamin says, I think that the labors of uh, Heracles were elaborated in the book, The Three Mountains. That sounds right. That sounds right. Maybe that's why we can't find the lecture because it's not a lecture. Maybe it's maybe it was in The Three Mountains that because it's been years, years since we read any of this stuff. Um, it's like over a decade that we read The Three Mountains. We were still living in Toronto when we read that book. Um, 
so yes, that that may be that may be correct. Uh, if there's nothing else, thank you for uh, for coming out today and joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week, and uh, maybe we'll have another update on the book by then. Hopefully, we'll have another uh, part of the book edited, and we'll be slowly but surely inching forward to publication date. So. Thank you all for bringing your questions and your concerns and your thoughts and have a great week. Enjoy the beginning of fall and again, if you ever have any questions or any challenges or anything that you're facing on the path, you know, in your work or anything else, feel free to bring them to the live stream or you can reach out to us on Facebook as well. Just send us a Facebook message. So we're always we're always here for you. So if you need us, don't feel like you have to wait until Sunday before you can reach out to us. If you're if you're dealing with something that's that's particularly difficult or challenging or or something that you don't you don't feel comfortable sharing in a in a public forum, feel free to reach out to us. Because um, you know we're busy, but but we're we'll we'll make the time. We'll make the time. It's 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 what we're here for. So, on that note, uh, we hope you found today valuable. We did our best to answer your questions, and we look forward to uh, seeing you again, seeing you again soon. And until we do, uh, take care and inferential peace. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.